0: So someone works his whole life, I mean, really works hard, makes a lot of money, and then his life is over. I mean, what good is that? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, going through the Bible, the 66 books by the 40 authors. And as we do that, this is our 33rd year, we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes chapter 1 in about five minutes time. So it's going to be a very, very good day. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey?
1: Well, I'm going to be having some fun today, looking at a really interesting archaeological artifact. Ryan?
2: Well, today we begin the book of Ecclesiastes, so I'm going to be giving a brief introduction to that book.
0: Look forward to all of that coming. Janice is here. What what, what are you doing?
3: Well, my segment is called Nothing New.
0: All right. So they're coming up in 20 minutes. Janice is coming up in 25 minutes. So Set up and get ready to learn a lot today. In the meantime, let's open our Bibles and let's listen to what God says from His Word.
3: Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 1-8 The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Men cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 8.
0: The book of Ecclesiastes. Very interesting. This is a fascinating book. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes dives into the painful truths and to the hard questions of life. The key word here is vanity. Vanity, that means the pointless emptiness of trying to be happy while you're separated with God. Now, the rare Hebrew word, koheleth, translated as teacher in many translations, probably means assembly or leader, assembly leader or public speaker. It's not the usual word for teacher and is found seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes and nowhere else in the Bible. Now, for this reason, Ecclesiastes is often called Koholeth. Traditionally, it is believed that Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, the preacher known to be the wisest, the richest, and the most influential man of his time. The book can be summed up in one statement, here it is. You're ready for it. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse two. The book is the essence of life that has everything you could possibly want except a good solid relationship with God. However, Solomon ends his writing well. The cynicism and the misery fade away when life is viewed as a daily gift from God. So we are to seek the Lord. We are to do his will and do his work as we focus on the book of Ecclesiastes. That's exactly what it says. Now take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage because it is really good, the preacher. That's what we're calling it today. Ecclesiastes one verses one through eight. And I really feel that we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us because this is gonna be really something. Father, I pray today, As we embark on this book and we begin to study it and go through it, help us to hear what your spirit is saying to us when you penned this book through Solomon. Teach us your ways and show us your paths. But Lord, I pray that we would understand that our lives without you are nothing, but our lives when we include you and we follow you are everything. So help us Lord to understand that and help us to remember what your Holy Spirit says to us, so we can live according to your perfect will. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Remember, you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and get your Bible guide as we continue on. And the Bible guide, but say thank you for the donations, by the way. It's just excellent. I really appreciate that, how that works. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is really interesting let's focus on what Solomon says through the power of the Holy Spirit to us in the first couple of verses. It says in verse one, the words of the preacher, the son of David, King of Jerusalem vanity of vanity says the preacher vanity of vanity. All is vanity. What profit has a man from all of his labor in which he toils under the sun. You know, this is great because this is, it should be a study of every philosophy's class ever taken. There is no real profit for someone who works his whole life for success. Christians should work well to provide an example of Christ. This is really important. We, you know, I wish that I would have known this and understood this when I was younger. We work so hard, 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 hard. Yet the only reason that we exist really, and God calls us out is to show who he is. God's call on our life is for us, our personalities to mix with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is Lord and the Holy Spirit molds us into his version of us. Now keep this in mind. When we're born, we're born in sin. This world is created or was created whole, but we sinned and we kicked God out. So we are not great from our birth, but we become birthed again or born again when we invite Jesus Christ into our life. Now the Jewish people, they consider that to be bar mitzvah, beth mitzvah. Doesn't matter which one. But I would say to you that the Christian understands that when we realize that we are people who are bent in evil and we understand our sin and we come to the Lord, then we realize we need Jesus Christ. And the born again experience as Jesus Christ in John chapter three said to Nicodemus is this, that we allow God to come into our life and change us. That is so important to remember. With that in mind, let's go to verse four. One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. Now this is fascinating because God has set the universe in motion. The earth will be redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth. God is going to change things. But see, when, when we often say this and people who talk about the end times often say, it's all gonna come down, it's all gonna crash. It's... Well, it is, but remember that God is doing that to rebuild. God rebuilds and there is a new heaven. There is a new earth, we do not die. We are shedding this body and we gain presence with God to get a new body. That's the essence of the teaching of prophecy. It is the spirit of Jesus Christ. We teach Jesus Christ. And beloved, that's the newness of life. That's the, re, the, the being born again and the, the refreshing ability to have your sins forgiven. We need to keep that in mind when we're all you know, bent and, on prophecy and telling people and dying and this is happening. You know, God knows that. It's not a surprise to us. But let's finish the story. God, he's done great things. His judgment is coming. But after his judgment, there is a great and glorious thousand year reign, the messianic rule. And then God brings a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, the, the story of God is completely filled with new beginnings. Absolutely amazing to remember that. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 6. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. The place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear is filled with hearing. This is absolutely stunning. The systems of the earth, though beautiful, do not... They do not fulfill the desire of mankind. Now look at that. The systems of the earth, though beautiful, do not fulfill the desire of mankind. Only Jesus can truly fulfill the desires of our hearts. Only Jesus Christ can answer that question. That's why we often say inside of every person is a God-shaped void. And we might fill it with ourselves for a while, or we might fill it with something else, work or whatever, or have our own idols. But let me tell you something, we can't because we don't fit. Only the Holy Spirit of God fits in that void inside our heart. It is only his spirit. It is only God. God, that his, The presence of God is the Holy Spirit. So God is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is Jesus, who is the son, also eternal. And we have to understand that this is how God reminds us of who he is. He fills that God-shaped void inside of our heart. Now, with that said, I would suggest to you today that if you have not invited Jesus Christ into your heart, do so now. If you're tired of the sin, say, Lord, I'm tired of the sin. I need your help. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again, and I need that life now. Come into my heart, in Jesus' name. But, A lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy, you buy this hairspray and you're gonna be happy. You smell like this flower, you're gonna be happy. You take this drug, you're gonna be happy. You buy this car, you're gonna be happy. See, it all tells me I'm gonna be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living.
1: All right, so at this point, if you've been reading and studying through the scriptures with us, we've gone through a lot of poetry, and now we're in more poetry, wisdom, literature. It's a long haul. So I wanted to take a little bit of a break and look at some ancient writing that is extra biblical, so it's not a part of the Bible. But this artifact, its discovery, sheds light on biblical events, specifically those recorded in 2 Kings 3. So uh, this uh, this artifact is called the Moabite stone or the Mesha Stella, and it is written from the standpoint of the Moabites, the, the king of Moab, Mesha, as he struggles with the kings of Israel. Take a look.
4: The Moabite stone is the longest ancient monumental inscription ever to be found in Israel. It was commissioned by Mesha, king of Moab, who is featured as a key opponent of Israel in 2 Kings 3. And though written by this enemy king, his inscription confirms many of the Bible's historical details. It confirms that Mesha was the king of Moab who was subjected to forced vassal status by Omri, king of Israel. This oppression lasted 40 years until the reign of Omri's descendant when Mesha rebelled Using to pay his annual tribute. The stone confirms Moab's chief god was named Chemosh and identifies Israel's god with his proper biblical name. It confirms the territory of the Israelite tribe of Gad and calls the kings of Judah the House of David, making it the second extra-biblical mention of King David and his bloodline of kings. The stone also adds additional information that's helpful to biblical studies, that Mesho was able to launch a successful retaliation campaign and that there was a city in San Sanctuary sanctuary dedicated to Yahweh at Mount Nebo, the site where Moses had observed the promised land before his death. With all of these and more additions to biblical knowledge, the Moabite stone also has a very dramatic discovery story. It was brought to the attention of a Christian medical missionary in the mid-1800s. His mission earned him safe welcome passage through otherwise hostile Bedouin-controlled territory, where he learned of an ancient stone lying in the open ruins of the biblical city of Dibon. He made a sketch, took some notes, and had a verbal agreement to purchase the stone. But the situation quickly deteriorated after... news began to spread. Governments and other parties got involved, eventually creating tensions so great that the Bedouins heated the stone to white-hot temperatures and poured cold water on it to shatter it. Then they distributed the pieces among themselves. Altogether, 57 pieces of the stone were bought and acquired by scholars and given to the Louvre, representing about two-thirds of the original. These, paired with a paper copy that was made of the stone before its destruction, allowed for reconstruction, which is available to visit and admire
1: even today. So when you read about the discovery uh, of the Moabite stone or the Meshesela, it really has a very classic archaeological adventure vibe to it, like Lawrence of Arabia uh, vibes to it. And and what I mean by that is that, you know, before the stone, right before the stone was broken, the the person who was there trying to preserve the stone, there's basically a war going on around him. These Bedouin tribes are coming, they're going to take the stone. And so he quickly makes a squeeze of it. And if you know what a squeeze is, it's you take paper and you wet it and they put it on the stone and you very carefully press the wet paper in the stone and you allow it to dry so that when you pull this dried paper off of the stone, an exact reverse copy of the stone is made. But the story goes that he was waiting for it to dry and there were these Bedouin tribes coming to get him. And so he had to rip the the squeeze off of the stone before it was fully dry. And he narrowly escaped with his life on horseback. Uh, But luckily the squeeze was complete enough that using the squeeze and the pieces that were later salvaged uh, by different people of reconstruction of the stone was made. There's a lot of uh,
0: this back and forth uh, in ancient times when they're fighting battles. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it really—I mean, I, you never think about that today. It's easy to just grab a drive and run out, but not then.
1: A lot different. I know I, times have changed. I wow. didn't
3: know. what a squeeze was. Now you know. I just (laughs) thought this was a squeeze.
1: When you visit the British Museum and and they say that things are reconstructed with the squeeze, that's what it's talking You learn something new every day.
0: Excellent, Corey. Thank you, Ryan.
2: All right, well, today to help us on our journey through the book of Ecclesiastes, I'm going to be giving a brief introduction to the book. And we want to ask questions like, how did Ecclesiastes receive its title? Who was the author and what was the date of its composition? And most importantly, what is its message? Let's try to find out. Ecclesiastes. It is perhaps the most misunderstood book of the Bible. Its title is derived from the opening word in Hebrew, Koheleth, which refers to one who called an assembly. In the Greek and Latin, this became Ecclesiastes, or the preacher. Though the book is commonly attributed to Solomon, who reigned about 970 to 930 BC, Some scholars believe that he didn't write it. They give a few reasons for their assumption. Among them is the fact that Solomon's name is never mentioned in the book. Also, the writer speaks as if he were a subject rather than a ruler in a time of oppression, injustice, and social confusion. They also claim the language of the book indicates a much later date than Solomon. Thus, they conclude that a later writer used a literary device known as a didactic autobiography to present his teaching. They put the date at about 250 BC. However, there is no real and hard evidence to refute Solomon's authorship. In fact, based on the clues in the text, it seems more likely that Solomon and the preacher are one. For example, Solomon had inconceivable wealth and power, which would have certainly allowed him to satisfy his every wish and desire, just as the preacher did in his search for meaning. The writer of Ecclesiastes also speaks of the old and foolish king, probably referring to himself, who's followed by a poor and wise youth, perhaps a reference to Jeroboam, that scheming usurper who divided the kingdom after Solomon's death. Furthermore, he also says that he found more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, something Solomon knew about all too well. As far as the message of the book is concerned, Ecclesiastes is a study in reality. Life is not a bowl of cherries. As the preacher wisely points out, Life is absolutely meaningless unless we connect with the Creator. We also notice that the key phrase in Ecclesiastes is under the sun. Some scholars actually say the phrase in Hebrew means apart from God. They suggest that this term should be inserted each of the 28 times this phrase appears in Ecclesiastes. If this is done, one immediately sees the message of the book. Life apart from God is totally meaningless. Thus Ecclesiastes fittingly concludes the whole matter this way. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment with every hidden thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And this really sets the stage for the book of Romans, which says in chapter 8 verses 20 and 21, For the creation was subjected to vanity, not of its own will, but by reason of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption, into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. So, as I mentioned off the top of the segment, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most misunderstood books of the Bible. A lot of people see it as overly cynical and pessimistic, but it's actually a study in reality. Life apart from God is completely and utterly meaningless, but with God, there is meaning. Without God, there is no future, but with Him, our future is Sure. And the book ends in seeming anticipation of Paul's words in Romans eight twenty and 21, where Paul says, For the creation was subjected to vanity, not of its own will, but by reason of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. You know, it's important to understand that our present sufferings that we face in this life aren't even worth comparing with our future life with the Lord. The question is, are you a part of that glorious future? Well, you can be. Trust on the Lord Jesus Christ and make him Lord of your life today. He's the only way. It's as Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me.
0: It's important to remember that, you know, we, we, we're we not saying, you know, here's an 800 number you can call and get a Bible or see. You don't need an 800 number. You don't need to go to a website. You don't need any of that. the Holy Spirit does not require any technology. Okay, the Holy Spirit is the the most advanced thing in the world. And you can say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I, I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. I'm a sinner. I need your help. I need you to be Lord of my life. And I believe that you rose from the dead in the flesh. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Be the Lord of my life. Amen. That's how you invite Jesus Christ to come in. And if you do that, That's very, very important. I would recommend that you do that. I would actually beg you to do that today because time is getting short. Janice?
3: Well, my segment's called Nothing New, and some people would say, well, this is silly. It says in verses 9 and 10 of Ecclesiastes 1, that which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? Well, it's not, the 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 writer here is not saying that there isn't anything new under the sun. It means that there's nothing that changes the fundamental facts of our human condition. It's not denying that we have new technologies. My goodness, all we have to do is, stay alive for a week, and next week there's something else that's new out there, Um, that there's not, not any new technological innovations, or new works of art, or architecture, or things like that, but these things that we see are variations of what we already have in existence or in existence in the past. We we hear that all the time from things that Corey will bring to us or things that Ryan will bring to us. That technology has just advanced over the years, but it's nothing new. Now, these technologies, these things that we have, it's not new because they don't deliver humanity from our bondage to death. And the new thing, the new thing that we have that changes everything is only coming from God. We can see that I'm, I've got my Bible marked here with little markers. Luke twenty two twenty. 20. Likewise, he, meaning Jesus, also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Hebrews 9, verse 15. Let's go there. 9 and 15. And for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Those are the true new things.
0: Fascinating. You know, it's really interesting when you begin to look at the Bible and understand it, and and it's what's on my mind, you talk about the new technologies AI is a is a new technology and everybody's talking about AI and, and I want to do an open forum in the future on that sometime, Corey. Uh, but there's a lot of preachers who talk about the AI learns what we know, but the AI is not something that can be saved. God calls us to know him and that covenant with us, mm-hmm. God achieves to the power of his Holy Spirit.
3: That personal relationship, personal, right? I mean, you
0: can't, you cannot substitute that. Um, and the, you know, he's not, it's not artificial you know, covenant, AC. You, know, you can't do that. Um, it, it's, it's done by God the Father, the Holy Spirit. He creates it because he created us. And we need to pay attention to God the Father when he says this to us. I mean, he is, he's calling us right now. He's calling us today. And we need to respond to him. And if you haven't responded to him, I would encourage you to. And you say, well, how do I do that? It comes back to Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's very, very important. Come to Jesus today. Pray and ask forgiveness of your sins. Invite him into his, to your life to be your Lord and Savior. BD, family and friends. I know you're tired of me saying the same thing all the time, but I'm, I'm just excited about this channel. And uh, I'll just say this one more day. And that is we do a program called Just the Facts 30 years ago. And we put that on there as well. So all our programs we do here at the studio and have done in the past are on and they're on video on demand as well. So check out BD Family and Friends on the internet, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, or on the Roku channel, or on the Fire Stick television, either way, BD Family and Friends, check it out. In the meantime, let's pray. Lord, help me to reset my thinking to your way, not my way. I need to think like you think, not like I do. Help me to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.